weather and we're able to be here and uh, enjoyed being with you this week and hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Hopefully we'll have something to say that you'll be able to maybe hold on to and use as you continue your labor with the Lord and your walk in, in faith. Every now and then I like to talk about something that I think is important that would help the church and help elders and people like that. And every now and then people come and they say, what do you think we can do that would really help the church? And sometimes people are thinking about maybe we need to go do a work or we need to do something or maybe build something and all that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse number 9, one of the greatest things that you will ever do for the kingdom of God is listed here in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You know, it just seems to me like it's very easy for people to get upset and get angry sometimes with brethren or those about them. And it's very hard for them to be peacemakers. The attitude of, we're going to cut the wood, let the chips fall where they may. The attitude of my way or the highway is a sinful attitude. If I've always got to have my way in everything, if I, it's always got to suit me, I have a problem. The Bible tells elders not to be lords over God's heritage and not to be self-willed. I was visiting with some young people a while back and they said, I think it'd be great to be an elder because then you get to do whatever you want to. It don't work that way. <laughs> and rarely does an eldership, a good eldership, rarely do they do what they actually would prefer to do. That's a rare occasion. Because they normally have to look out and see the group and do what's best for everyone. Bev sometimes will come in and she'll be down and unhappy. And we don't have to, we don't have to speak about it anymore. We can just tell when, when the other one's not doing too good. And I go, you're not happy about something. And she, she'll tell me and I go, well, I think everything's going just fine. And she would go, well, Marlon, I'd be happy too if I always got <laughs> Which I don't realize I'm doing that, but maybe, maybe it does work that way. You know, sometimes I think we have to have our own way. And I'll give you an example of it. When I talk to people before they get married, one of the questions I ask is, who's going to have the remote? Bev will tell you, if I don't have that remote, whether we change the channel or not, I shake. <laughs> That's control, isn't it? I mean, when you got the remote, you got the power. We need peacemakers, folks. I go to funerals and I hear about guys that have served the Lord. And I know we intend these things to be positive and not negative. But I've heard things like, he's an old warrior of the cross. He's a war horse for Christ. He cares, carries the scars of a thousand battles, a soldier of the cross. You know, I hope when I go that I'm not remembered for the scars and the battles and the war. I really hope that's not the way I'm remembered. I'd much rather be remembered as a reconciler, somebody that brought people together, somebody that mended relationships, somebody that helped others mend their relationships. Makes you wonder why you have to carry the scars of a thousand battles. Doesn't it? I met with a brother years ago, long gone now, and he had had problems everywhere he went, and he had problems with me, and he had problems with us. And finally, in disgust, he goes, it just seems everywhere I go, there's problems. 
Do we have a common denominator here? Well, I would go somewhere else was my suggestion. <laughs> you know why? He's going to have problems wherever he went. You know why? He's putting a coat on and taking it with him. But it's hard for us to think we might be the problem. Now, when we hear preaching about being peacemakers and things like that, I want you to know these are not just good ideas and suggestions. These are commands of the Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. Now, I know we normally apply the verses I'm about to use to the denominational world or to people that are doing things that God is really unhappy with, but we don't think about it when it comes to stuff like this. When he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, what was he talking about? Now, you can apply it to all this other stuff out in the world. But when he sits there and blessed are the peacemakers, pray for them that persecute you, turn the other cheek, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's what he was talking about when he got to verse 21 at the end of the sermon on the mount and said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, because not everybody's going to be a peacemaker. In 1 John 2 and 4, he that saith I know him and doeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not any. That applies to me and you just like it does to the people of the world, folks. If I say I know Jesus, but I don't do the things he taught, that makes me a liar and the truth is not in me. Blessed are the peacemakers. John 12, 48, which we read oftentimes, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. To reject Jesus or to reject his word is the same as rejecting Christ himself. We need to quit giving lip service to this stuff and start doing it. And that's the truth about it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Wonder why the peacemakers were blessed? Because there are not many of them. <laughs> It's a rare commodity. You know, what we are is a state of mind. And that's the way it is. Everything's controlled by the mind. Now, I would rather be of the type that I just tell people what I think. You know, we've even made excuses for old brethren. Old brother, get up and just, you know, tear the hide off somebody and Go, well, that's just old brother so-and-so. No, and not. It's just in sin. That's what it is. That's all it is. But we tolerate it because we understand, well, it's just old brother so-and-so. But it starts in the mind, folks. You can be what God wants you to be, but you're going to have to change your way of thinking. It starts between your ears. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are a new creature in Christ, renewed in knowledge. Well, it's just the way I am. Well, I'm sorry about that then. But you need to change. That's why the Lord came, so we could become what he wants us to be. Now, I know we're all a work in progress. I am, you are, we are. We're not going to get there. We're not going to ever arrive to exactly where we want to be. But are you closer to being like Christ today than when you started your walk? We can be what we 
want what he wants us to be, but we've got to put our mind to it. Colossians 3.10 talks about the renewing of the mind. Now, years ago, I had a fellow come to, I was about 17, and he come to our school and he taught a class on, or did a career day is what he did, and I guess he thought we needed a career. And I'm going to go to college if I ever figure out what I want to do with my life. But he gave this talk about 17, and he made the statement, whatever you think about the most is what you're going to become. I knew that wasn't true because I'd have been a girl. <laughs> but you know, the concept is basically it starts in the mind. That's what he was trying to get across to us. Your career, you've got to think about it. What you want to become, what do you want to do? And what's on your mind, what you really, you know, your gifts are, what you're turned toward. And he was trying to get us to renew the mind in career day. Now, there are some things we can do to be peacemakers, and they're important. In the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, the 44th verse. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Is that your first choice when somebody despitefully uses you and persecutes you? Is to pray for them? We had an opportunity to do that back in 01, September the 11th, 9-11. They flew the, tower, the planes into the towers and the buildings came down. And some of the brethren came and, I mean, there was a big roar, uproar and everybody was ready to go find out who did it and let's kill them all and let God sort the dead. We were ready. We were ready to fight. And some of the brethren came and they said, we ought to have a special prayer for those folks that, uh, in New York and the people that were suffering and all that. And I said, I agree with that. But the first person we pray for needs to be Osama bin Laden. That didn't go over good. Well, we probably had a prayer about him. That they, we'd find him and hang him. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus said. Could you imagine somebody? Now, the, the Lord told us in the Gospels, he said, there's going to come a day they're going to kill you and think they do God a service. That's exactly what this dude did. They were killing Americans thinking they were doing God a service. That's exactly what Jesus said. Pray for them. In his case, it was the Romans. Do you remember what Jesus did and said when they hung him on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's not our first choice. I promise you that. But these are some things we can do that will help us become peacemakers. In Romans 12, he goes into a, a little bit more of a litany of things to do. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Don't return evil for evil, folks, but rather good for evil. And you'll be a peacemaker. You'll bring people together. Now, there's three ways of handling conflicts in our relationships, and I want to go over it real quick with you because we tend to do this. Do it in marriages. We do it in business. We do it in churches. We do it with God. You know, the first way of handling it is just escape, run away from it. You know, that's never made much sense to me, to be honest with you. 
People get mad at each other and they leave God. Have you ever thought about that? It makes no sense at all. It'd be like me and Craig getting in a fight and I go divorce Beth. Somebody go, well, that's stupid. That's the point. <laughs> what did God do to you? But we get mad at each other and we just take off. Do you really think that's the way the Lord told you to handle conflict and relationships? Run away? Now, I know sometimes that, that there were times people, the only way they could ever get along is be on a different continent. But that's not what the Lord wants us to do. He doesn't want us to run from problems. He wants us to handle them. And so escape is, is a, a response that we have. And we just run away. You know, the king of that has got to be Jonah. I had a fellow tell me last night. He goes, you know what the most amazing part of the story of Jonah and the whale is? I knew it was going to be good. I said, no, I have no clue. What's the best part? He said, when he went back to Mrs. Jonah and she believed him. <laughs> Where you been for three days? <laughs> you know, Jonah was supposed to, I don't know if there was a Mrs. Jonah. I just thought it was a humorous story. But Jonah was supposed to go preach to Nineveh so that, that they would repent. And you remember, he didn't want to go. Did you ever not want to do something the Lord wanted you to do? And so he took off and wound up in the belly of the fish. I heard a fellow tell me one time, he goes, you know, after that, after that fish spit him back out, he's running down the street telling him to repent. And one fellow said, hey, come have lunch with me. He goes, what are you having? Fish. He goes, no, thanks. <laughs> but he'd had all the fish he wanted. You know what was weird about the deal, though? Is after Jonah went and did what God told him to do, he got mad because they repented. And they had to have a conversation about that. But are we like Jonah? We just pack up and run? Pack up and leave? Is that the way we're going to handle marriages and relationships? Is that the way we're going to handle our church life? We're just going to pack up and run? You know, we can deny we even have a problem. Sometimes people do that. They just total denial. A man that confesses his faults and repents shall obtain mercy, according to the book of Proverbs. But that's the way we escape. We just total denial, or we just run off. I guess the king of that, the ultimate running off, would be when somebody commits suicide. I suppose that would be the ultimate. We got to get, you know, we, oh, George Jones sang a song about he stopped loving her today because he died. First time I'd seen him smile in years. <laughs> you know what we call that? Whenever we're sitting around picking and grinning and go, hey, let's sing the ultimate goodbye song. <laughs> You know, there were people that did that. Oh, Judas did. After he had sold out the Lord and realized what was happening, he went and hung himself. I guess he got away from it. In this life, anyway. But you can't run from God, can you? And we know that. You know, there's a lot of people that they go by the bumper sticker I saw coming out. 
I don't get mad, I get even. In other words, we're ready to fight. Let's get it on. The people up in the Northeast believe you people in Texas and Oklahoma, y'all will fight at the drop of a hat and you'll drop it. <laughs> they just think we're kind of bloodthirsty down here. And I guess maybe sometimes our first response is to attack. You get me, I'm going to one-up you. And I'm going to respond in kind. You think that's what the Lord wants us to do? You know, sometimes there's litigation involved. We call it lawsuits. You know what the Bible says about a Christian going to law with a Christian? Read 1 Corinthians 6, start in verse 1 sometime. See what the Lord thinks of that. At one time, suing was the national pastime. And I've seen brethren go to, go to court with each other, with elders begging them not to. Now, Matthew tells you what's going to happen when you do. He said to agree quickly, the Lord said, agree quickly with your adversary, or he'll take you before the magistrate. And you shall not escape until you pay the utmost farthing. Sometimes it don't work out. I've had people tell me that I've, I don't have any choice. I got to go to I got to go to law. And then they lose every one of them cases, and they go, "Can the elder step in and solve this?" No, not when the judge dropped that gavel. The reason you're in a mess is you violated God's law to start with. How do we feel about that? You know, sometimes people just get mad and they, they'll, they'll, we get into what we call assault. I heard a story of a church meeting. I was not there, and so you take this for what it's worth, of a church meeting, and they were having a business meeting, there was a squabble going on, and that's what business meetings are good for. By the way, if Moses had been a business meeting, he'd still be in Egypt. But they were sitting there, and one fellow was telling this young man, how the cow ate the cabbage and the young man got mad and his dad stepped up and said son that's not the way to handle this sit down and he sat the boy down and then he turned around and got him is that what the bible says to do there's a chance to turn the other cheek i guess <laughs> but that's what happens the only one of the few times i guess i've got an amen from one of my sister-in-laws, I was studying with the kids and we were talking about being married. And I said, be careful who you marry because the person you're closest to may be the person you're most likely to kill. <laughs> and my sister-in-law was walking by and she goes, amen. <laughs> now, I don't know exactly what was happening, but I got an amen. Isn't that weird the way we do? We date each other and we're just so enamored with each other and then we get married. I had a friend of mine, I, we used to love to watch his brother and his wife come home. They'd come in on Saturday night, we'd sit on the porch. One day they come in, I, you can't make this kind of stuff up. And they were squabbling and she just walked up, he big boy, she shoved him. Well, he slapped her down by, the, right by that car, I mean, just slapped the far out of her. She'd come up with a hubcap and split his head open. I mean, this is good stuff. Now, I may, that may be an extreme situation. But that's what it can come to when we use that as a way we're going to handle conflict. You think that's what the Lord wants? 
They were so mad at Stephen. The Bible says they gnashed on him with their teeth. The preaching of Peter, I love this one. They tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air. That had to help. <laughs> it had been different. Then there's verbal abuse. There's lots of ways that we can abuse each other verbally. Other than just raising our voice and getting loud. And I know sometimes husbands and wives, believe it or not, the ladies can get quite loud. <laughs> I think they've got an octave advantage on us. Mine's smarter than me and she can talk faster than I can hear. By the time I get to point A, she's already to C. You know. So we kind of have to slow things down a little bit where I can keep up with what's going on. I'm going to tell you how this gets. I made myself a promise a while back because <laughs> I'd done this several times. We'd gotten an argument. It's been years ago, but we got in an argument. It was 2.30 in the morning. We're still arguing with each other. And I finally said, you're going to tell me one thing before we go any further. That one, friends, and influence people. And she said, what is it? I said, why are we fighting? I didn't like the way she was talking to me is the reason I got mad, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I never did really realize what exactly got this thing. And when she told me, she goes, I got, oh, I didn't mean that. We saw it in about two minutes. <laughs> so I've made a point before we get in a big fight, I really need to know what's going on here, people. But we were able to yell at each other all night. We can get to verbal abuse. There's gossip, there's slander, there's backbiting, foul language. I know we get frustrated, but these things ought not to be, brethren. The Bible tells us about all these ways that we can verbally abuse each other. I watched a deal one time, and I got to thinking about this, and I really, you know, the Bible tells us in James 1, 19, for every man to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And I know in my life, fellas, I would have been a whole lot better off in relationships if I would have practiced that. I sometimes tend to want to get it backwards, get mad and speak, and then hear it. I had a fellow tell me one time, said, hey, you need to listen to a man's story. You need to listen to his whole story. And you need to listen to his whole story first. <laughs> You know, that's exactly what James was saying. Swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Every now and then, some of the boys will come up at home, and they're ag aggravated about something, and one of them goes, you know what I'd like to do? My response is always the same. Don't do it. Don't say it and don't do it, because it's probably not right. If I'm going to do and say what I really would like to, best thing to do is don't do it, because it's probably not of God. I saw a commercial about this verbal abuse that we get into sometimes, and it showed a little child sitting on the edge of a bed and a mother screaming at him. And she finally screamed at him, I just wish you were never born. And she walked out. And the slogan at the bottom was, words can hit like a fist. Can you imagine that little fellow after he heard his mama say that to him? 
Wonder what kind of perspective he was going to grow up with. Be careful what you say. You know, sometimes you can just accidentally do something. I remember one time when we were little, my dad used to play what if with us. What if you had a million dollars? What would you buy? Oh, he loved to listen to all the things we'd buy, you know. Now, my baby brother, my one next to me, gone now, but he loved airplanes. The greatest thing in the world to him would be buy an airplane. And that, wasn't, that didn't float my boat, but he loved them. And so he's sitting there telling my dad about all this airplane he would buy. And my mom walked by. And my brother goes, and I have this airplane. He looked up and said, and I'd give it to you, Mom. And she goes, what would I do with an airplane? And kept going. He got up and went to his room. My dad went in and goes, you know what you just did? The greatest thing in the world to him is to own an airplane. And as much as he'd love it, he'd give it to you. Mom beat a trail. <laughs> we got to be careful, folks. It's not just what we say, but it's how we say it. You know, sometimes Bev and I can be talking to each other, and we're apart, and I go, hey, I love you. And then there's times we're together, and I go, yeah, I love you. <laughs> Same words, I said I love you. But I think the meaning is clear, isn't it? Be careful how we talk to each other. Let me give you a piece of advice, especially with husbands and wives. But it goes with all relationships. In the book of 1 Peter, the third chapter, it's down about the eighth verse. He's talking about brethren being pitiful one to another, having compassion for each other. And we need to never, never get away from that. You know, when we were first together, if old Bev would cry, it just broke my heart. I just want to grab her up. Something's wrong. Then after we've been married a while, I go, okay, don't turn the water works on. <laughs> you ever been there? Somehow we lost it, didn't we? We're not as compassionate and we don't have the pity that we did. But then he makes us two words. Be courteous. You know why sometimes husbands and wives don't get along? They're just rude to each other. Sometimes Bev will go, you say things to me you wouldn't say to nobody else. Well, nobody else is going to do this to me. But... Okay, I gave you the response and I shouldn't have done that. But she's right. Sometimes we'll say things to each other we wouldn't say to anybody else. Be courteous. You know, the secret, I believe the secret to a good relationship is don't quit dating. If you're married. However you treated her when you wanted her to notice you and marry you. You treat her that way after you're married. Ladies, however you acted when you wanted him to notice you and maybe marry you. Treat him that way. After you're married, don't quit dating. And it'll go a long way to solving a lot of problems. You know the old story about the fellow that wanted a divorce, but he didn't just want a divorce, he wanted to rip her heart out. He went to the lawyer. The lawyer said, I know how to do it. He said, you go home and you buy her flowers. You take her out every weekend. Open the door for her. Pull her chair back. Just treat her. Clean her house for her. And then not do that for 90 days. And then we'll hit her with those papers and it'll rip her heart out. It'll crush her. He goes, yeah, that's what I want to do. And he did, but he didn't go back. So if the lawyer met him on the street and goes, you ready for that divorce? And he goes, oh, no, she changed. You can't believe that. <laughs> Give it a try. See what will happen. 
Sometimes we just need to be kind and courteous one to another. Years ago when we were dating, Bev determined there was going to be something in our relationship that was never going to happen. A lot of the older men thought it was funny when they would tell a joke and it was always about the wife. You know. We got married for better or worse. She couldn't have done better. I couldn't have done worse. <laughs> Bev said, that ain't happening. And it doesn't. I like humor as best as anybody. But you know, if I tell a story, it's generally about me. It ain't about her. And she's not going to be the butt of the joke. And she taught me that when I was young, so I've never had that problem. But maybe y'all ought to try to be courteous one to another and it'll go a long way. The thing we need to do is we need to, be recon we need to reconcile our relationships with our God, with our fellow man, with our brethren, husbands and wives. We need to find a way to reconcile. And there's some things you can do, about three things that the Bible talks about doing with that. One, you can overlook it. The book of Proverbs says that it's a glory for a man when he can overlook a matter. Control his anger and just overlook it. Now, in the New Testament, when you get down to the book of Colossians, it talks in chapter 3, it talks about forbearing one another in love. You know what forbearing means? It means put up with. You know, if you're around me long enough, I'm going to get on your nerves. <laughs> I guarantee it. But you have to put up with some of that. And we, that's what forbearing is. We just overlook it. And we ask us a question that is asked in Scripture in the book of James. Can my love cover this matter? That's how you keep from nitpicking each other to death. Now, here's the deal about overlooking or forbearing. You don't overlook and forbear for 10 years and then explode it out like a volcano. That means you overlook it, you let it go. You're not clamming it up inside, and it's not going to come spewing out at an opportune moment. You overlooked it. Your, your love covered it, and you let it go. Do you know what real forgiveness is? I, I was with a fella, and he told me one time, he said, he said, I just can't forgive her. And I said, well, God tells you to forgive her. And he goes, I'd be a hypocrite if I said I could forgive her. It's never hypocritical to do what God told you to do, people. Do you know what real forgiveness is? There's three steps to it. I won't bring it up to you ever again. I won't bring it up to others, and I won't bring it up to myself. Which means the next time you get in a fight, I don't remember what you did four years ago. You said you wouldn't do it again. Here you are. No, we forgave that. We're not. God said it like this. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. When he forgives, he's not going to bring it up to you. He's not going to bring it up to others. And he's not going to bring it up to himself. He's going to let it go. We need to learn how to do that. You know, sometimes we need to go talk to our brethren. I have heard something people say that they are quite proud of that is a flat-out sin. It is contrary to the will of God. It flies in the face of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. You know what it is? 
Well, if he's got a problem, let him come talk to me. It's not what Matthew 5 said to do. Matthew 5 says if you go to the altar and realize that your brother has a problem with you, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother, then offer the gift. He didn't say come up here and say, well, I know my brother's mad at me, but he got a problem, let him talk to me. No. If you know he's got a problem with you, go talk to him. That's what God wants you to do. You know, one of the things I told the brethren at home I want us to do. One of the goals of the eldership. We're going to talk to each other, not about each other. You know, that's hard to do. But if I know you've got a problem with me, I need to go talk to you. Now, the flip side of that coin is if you have a problem with your brother, you need to go talk to him. He may not realize you got a problem. And then sometimes we may need to get some help. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about getting some of the brethren together, let them hear the matter, and let them give you the advice and the, the decision on how to handle it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're far and few between. But that's what God wants us to be. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Do you have a relationship you need to fix? Turn to God's book. Handle it God's way. And you can fix that relationship. If we can help you come as we stand and sing.